Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you ever wondered if maybe those little things you're forgetting or the performance that maybe you don't have the way you used to at your job or at work is something that's just a minor relation to aging or if it's something else? Well, today we are going to talk about the role of neuropsychiatric testing, what that sort of evaluation is, why we need neuropsychologists, what they can do as part of members of the healthcare team, and how they can help us to figure out whether or not the stuff that we think might be going on is a sign of maybe even some major cognitive changes to come or just us getting nervous and worried about what happens to our memory as we get older. So joining us today is Dr. Rachel Song. She is a neuropsychologist and clinical director of Hawaii Neuropsychology. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Now, what exactly is neuropsychology? I mean, we hear about the term. Mm -hmm. We know that it sounds like neurology, sounds like psychology. Is it both? And how did you become one? Um, yes. So a lot of people are not familiar with the term neuropsychology. It is a relatively new specialty. It became an independent scientific discipline um, maybe early 1960s. But um, neuropsychology is a branch of clinical psychology that studies how the brain affects how we function on a daily basis. So it's really a specialty that, that, that's dedicated to understand how the various components of the brain are able to do their job and to really understand the relationship between brain and behavior as you know, these relationships can be applied to the diagnosis of brain, like you mentioned, like dementia or you know, um, cognitive impairment or assessment of cognitive and behavioral functioning. Um, so a clinical neuropsychologist, is a professional within the field of psychology. So we are psychologists um, with special training in, in the science of brain and behavior relationship. So we typically um, complete five to six years of grad school, um, including um, kind of internal clinical internship and two years of fellowship in, in clinical neuropsychology. Um, to, to be able to really use, you know, like all of you, you mentioned, like psychological, neurological, cognitive, behavioral, physiological, all of those principles to, to really understand um, an individual's neurocognitive, behavioral um, kind of strength and weaknesses um, and how they apply to the real world behaviors. So what kind of person might be referred to a neuropsychologist? Would this be just those people for whom we think we have cognitive changes? What sort of reasons would somebody see someone in your profession? Mm -hmm. um, so neuropsychological evaluations are requested um, specifically to help understand how the different areas and systems of your brain are working. So it's usually recommended when there are symptoms or complaints you know, involving memory and thinking. And, you know, this can be um, signaled by a change in your concentration, your ability to organize and plan things or reason things, um, your memory, your language, or, 
you know, your perception, all, all different kind of domains of, of brain functioning. Um, and, you know, there are several reasons why people are referred for neuropsychological evaluation. Um, you know, your primary care doctor may be concerned about your memory or other thinking abilities and, and wishes to understand them better. Um, there, there are, you know, so many information, so much information that, that you can get from, from this evaluation. And, you know, people with no cognitive complaint can also benefit from this evaluation because it can establish, you know, a baseline for, for, for you to be able to kind of compare subsequent um, evaluation to this baseline. You know, you might wonder, like, you know, how am I doing, you know, in terms of memory? Like, you know, am I forgetting you know, more things than other people my age, and, and you can be referred for neuropsychological evaluation to answer that kind of question as well. Um, also, um, for younger adults, you know, they can be referred for neuropsychological evaluation if they're having kind of learning problems or attention problems, and if, if they need, you know, kind of planning and developing kind of remedial education, if they need any accommodations, you know, this evaluation can determine, you know, what level of accommodations, you know, do you, do you need or what kind of, you know, learning kind of problems are you having? So, so you can also answer those questions. Um, you know, another thing that this evaluation can be helpful is, you know, so uh, pre-surgical um, evaluation. So patients for spinal cord stimulation or deep brain stimulation um, kind of surgeries, um, some insurances will require you to have pre-surgical and post-surgical um, um, evaluations to really determine whether that kind of given treatment is appropriate for a particular person and whether the treatment has, you know, had any positive or negative effects, you know, on mental functions and behavior. So, you know, it, it it can provide, you know, you and your doctors with a lot of um, kind of information depending on, you know, the referral question. Well, it sounds like it really spans the spectrum of ages. So in the younger group, it might be more learning disability. It might be more planning and educational resources. <laughs> For those who are at the other end of that spectrum, it might be dementia testing, cognitive impairment, and then kind of all those people in between who have early symptoms or, like you mentioned about chronic pain, who might be undergoing some type of spinal cord stimulator or deep brain stimulation for other reasons. And so it would help them to determine if they're a candidate, if they have the, the correct right. potential benefit of the functioning. So let's talk about let's talk about the youth first. So when we think about this general this spectrum of testing, I know that, you know, I've heard that it takes it takes all day. There's a lot of different parts to it. But a breakdown for I assume for the young people it might be different from the older, but maybe it's not. What are the elements of the testing? Are there like different hours? Is it like chapters one through five, or how does this whole process take place? Mm-hmm. So neuropsychological assessment. I don't even like to call it test because there's no pass or fail. So I so it's it's standardized, meaning that they are given in the same manner to all patients and scored in in a similar manner time after time. So. Um, so you maybe it it can make you feel like you're back in school um, if you're you know older adults you know it it can um, ask you to answer some questions draw some pictures um, 
you know, um, and and listen to something and remember that, you know, to to see how well you can, you know, uh, retrieve information. Um, but usually it does start with a clinical interview where a neuropsychologist uh, will ask you about any concerns you have with thinking abilities or memory abilities. And at this time, you know, if you wish to have a family member or a friend present, you may also do so because oftentimes it's helpful for the neuropsychologist to to talk with your loved ones in order to really understand your condition better. Um, And then they will be asked to um, leave the assessment room so that, you know, so that you can do the assessment by yourself. You know, again, this is, you know, putting together designs or writing things or drawing things, reading things, or some tests may be on on a computer um, as well. And also it can be questionnaires. It's, It's a really comprehensive assessment um, that doesn't take all day. <laughs> um, so it, it, it doesn't take all day, but it can take, you know, usually, you know, two to three hours, I would say, um, to finish this assessment. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Rachel Song about neuropsychological testing. What sort of information might we get from that? And how can this be helpful to to anybody who does this in all phases of their life? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Rachel Song on the line. She is a neuropsychologist and clinical director of Hawaii Neuropsychology. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about what is neuropsychological assessment. I like the fact, Dr. Song, that you said, we don't really call it a test. There's no pass or fail. Because even just saying that made me feel calmer. And I'm not even doing neuropsychological assessment right now. I know (laughs) if I were to go in somewhere and be like, you're going to have a test, there's always that sense of, apprehension. Oh, no, I want to get an A. Am I going to be able to do well on this? So it's not really a test per se. This is not an exam you can fail. It's sort of an assessment of your abilities. So you mentioned that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a standardized assessment. So I would imagine that if you do this for someone who's younger, if you do this for someone who's older, the idea that they now have potentially a baseline that can be helpful to monitor progress. Do you often have to do tests like this, this two to three hours of testing repetitively? And if so, how likely is it going to show a change? Um, Usually it's recommended um, once uh, once a year or, you know, every 12 to 18 months, um, which, and that's that's an option um, that can be used for um, older adults. Uh, Mostly um, younger adults who are looking for accommodations don't really have to come back uh, for evaluation every year because, you know, we're not expecting to see any progressive or any, you know, cognitive decline for those groups. But for for older adults, you know, over 65 years, it's it's really recommended to, to come back every year to do this assessment um, to really see how you are doing um, relative to your peers and to really see any cognitive change 
um, or decline that can be described as, you know, progressive disorders such as dementia, you know, Alzheimer's, um, um, yeah, any neurological disorders like that. So if you have a diagnosis of dementia, there may be some benefits to monitoring the progression of that because in some cases, dementia might be mild, might be moderate, might lead to the severe category. But if it's mild, it might be nice for somebody to know, hey, have I gotten to the point where I can no longer, you know, drive myself or do the job that I'm hired to do or continue to live independently. So it may give them some prognostic capabilities for what they or their loved ones might be looking at in the maybe near term or hopefully longer term future. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. I, I do think that early intervention um, is is the key here. So let's say, you know, we do see some mild cognitive, you know, decline and with some forgetfulness, um, you know, that's more than just you know, normal aging, you know, we might, you know, start, you know, intervention, we might help you with, you know, coming up with the right compensatory strategies to, to really, you know, improve your um, quality of living. Um, So, so yes, I I do believe um, that early intervention by, you know, um, getting these assessments yearly is important. You know, I do think of this, you know, aspect of memory and, and, and cognition as a spectrum. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum, there will be normal aging where, you know, you are forgetting the same amount of information that everybody else your age is forgetting, you know, like forgetting names of people here and there. And, and you know, that's, that's only normal because, you know, as we age, you know, all of our brains are shrinking, you know, it, you know, we're, we're all of us, you know, we're forgetting things. But, on the other side of the spectrum, you know, there's something called dementia, which is, you know, when you're forgetting a lot more than other people your age, you know, and it's impacting, you know, your ability to perform, you know, basic and instrumental activities of, you know, daily living like financial management or, you know, medication management. And there's something called mild cognitive impairment, which is, you know, right in the middle where we wouldn't really call it normal aging because you are forgetting more things and you are having more difficulties um, than other people your age, but it's not so bad to the point that, you know, we'll call it dementia. So, so, so these kind of assessments will be able to kind of, you know, assess where you're at on the spectrum and really target, you know, kind of early intervention or, you know, any kind of recommendations that, that, that will be kind of necessary to improve quality of living for you. Well, you brought up a really good point, which is maybe that in-between. You know, it's nice to know that for all of us, our brains are shrinking. That that was, yay, (laughs) made my Monday. But, uh, you know, there is this normal process where people of the same age group or cohort might forget certain things. And, you know, it, it may not be something that affects every area of your life. You know, I have to wonder, I'm sure you've done thousands of these uh, assessments over the years. And if somebody's like super nervous and they just, they, they're freaking out, could they bomb this assessment and like you bring them back when they're calmer and they do great? Does that ever happen? Or are there enough questions in the assessment that eventually you can get to the bottom of what's going on without really having that sense of apprehension adjust or alter the scores? Mm-hmm. So it, rarely it, it, it can happen if your anxiety is, 
you know, kind of increasing throughout the assessment. But this assessment is really, you know, kind of like structured and designed in a way, you know, that you would feel comfortable um, throughout the assessment, um, it, you know, throughout the span of, you know, couple, three hours, you can take as many breaks as you want. And, and you know, neuropsychologists would kind of monitor your anxiety level throughout the assessment to see if it's really, you know, impacting your performance. And, you know, we can always talk about, you know, how you're feeling and, and you know, how, you know, your ability may be impacted by your anxiety or, or, or your mood. Um, so, um, yes. Um, anxiety can impact the performance, but the assessment, you know, tries to kind of design it and structure it, structure it in a way that that it will kind of make you perform at your best ability. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good because I think I would be one of those like nervous people. Am I doing it right? I didn't draw that very well. You know, my handwriting's horrible. So I might just bomb it no matter what. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak and you're listening to The Body Show. Dr. Rachel Song is on the line. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how a neuropsychological assessment is different than a neurology assessment or a psychology assessment and how there are some questions that are usually answered in an assessment report and how that can help people to play plan ahead. Early intervention may be the key if there are conditions for which treatment might be available. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Rachel Song on the line. And right before the break, we were talking about how no matter how nervous you get, you could still complete a neuropsychological assessment. So, you know, I'm curious because it sounds like someone would come in and you mentioned that there's picture drawing, question answering, some reading and listening and designs and some of it on the computer, and it would take a few hours. I'm curious, how does a neuropsychological assessment differ than sort of a standard psychology evaluation or standard neurology evaluation? And what are the benefits Mm -hmm. of doing this particular assessment? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, a lot of people do confuse neuropsychology with neurology. Um, Neurology is a medical specialty um, dealing with disorders of the nervous system. So a neurologist will diagnose and treat neurological condition. Um, Usually the examination will focus on the structural networks or damage rather than functional processes um, involved in behavioral and thinking. So a neuropsychologist will focus on assessing brain functioning, such as the way you think or feel or behave. So um, a neurologist can look at, you know, CT scans or, or brain MRI, um, but, but oftentimes these pictures do not always show how the brain is working and how the brain has been injured. So by doing neuropsychological evaluation, we're able to see how your brain is working. So it, it can help you and your doctor understand how your abilities and mood have changed. And, you know, no matter how good, you know, those you know, imaging methods become to maybe localize um, the damage of your brain, they may never tell us about, you know, how you 
function and how that correlates to, you know, real-world behavior. And that's, that's where we check in, uh, you know, as a neuropsychologist to look at the functioning of your, of your brain behaviors. Well, that's a really good idea. I mean, it's a good analogy. You're looking at an anatomical problem, like what you might see on an MRI or a CAT scan versus what is the function. You know, you could have a, a massive problem in your brain looking at the anatomy, but if the functioning is normal, then that's great. Mm-hmm. But you could also have a tiny little pinpoint stroke that just so happens to be in an area where the function of your brain may be dramatically affected. And that will help your, it sounds like your testing will help to differentiate between something that is treatable and something that might be progressive. And that early intervention aspect that we're talking about, that if there is something that you can do, you mentioned coping strategies. The first thing that comes to mind is write things down. You know, I know that some Mm -hmm. of the earliest patients that I see who start to exhibit some concerns about their memory, you see them with a notebook and they take a pen and they're like, I need to start writing things down so I remember them. So that's their initial coping strategy and then reviewing their notes to make sure that they understood everything. And so it's it sounds like there are some things that can be done early on that will help people to determine what to do next. Now, you mentioned that the neurologist may identify what the function is of the brain by an, an anatomical perspective. This is, you know, this is the brain issue that you have. What about a standard psychological evaluation? That's a little different than a neuropsychological assessment. How are those mm-hmm. similar and how are those different? Um, so neuropsychological evaluation can include psychological evaluation um, as well, but typically when, when people say psychological evaluation, it will focus on your emotion and personality. Um, so there can be a very long questionnaire asking, you know, how how you perceive things or about yourself and how you interact with others in social situations. You know, a variety of questions to to really look at um, your personality and and your like mood state. Like, you know, so it will it will really focus on the question of you know depression, anxiety, or some personality disorders like borderline personality. Um, or histrionic personality disorder, and, you know, sometimes they can ask you to kind of describe a vague, abstract, you know, a picture um, to really kind of look into, you know, your subconscious thinking um, and just level of kind of emotional, like, functioning and personality functioning that way, um, which is different from neuropsychological assessment, which is more, I would say, objective in a way um, that we interpret data, we collect data, and we interpret and analyze data and, you know, um, write up a report to share with all of your kind of healthcare providers um, um, to kind of help with with improving um, your kind of brain, um, your, your brain functioning and, and behaviors as a result of that. So similar to what you mentioned with the neurologist looking at the anatomy on a CAT scan or an MRI, it sounds like a psychologist may evaluate your feelings about something, whereas a neuropsychological assessment is how is your memory? Are you functioning up to par? Are you doing the same tasks in memory and in listening and in different ways that you draw pictures or use your handwriting, et cetera. It's not how you feel about it. It's how you actually do it. And is that 
similar to what other people your age group might be able to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, one of the functions that a lot of people are familiar with would be your intelligence. And a lot of people know it as IQ. So, so you know, a neuropsychological evaluation, you know, can, can assess your intellectual abilities, get full kind of scale um, IQ. It can also look at your achievement skills like reading comprehension or your spelling ability. It can also look at your attention for for people with, you know, kind of concerns related to do I have ADHD or not? Um, and, you know, language abilities as well, you know, like I tend to stutter or I, I, I slur, um, I don't comprehend things as well as before. So it can look into all those kind of functions, you know, like attention, visual, spatial skills, um, and then come up with the best diagnosis to kind of come up with the best treatment. But it's much more than just a standard IQ test. You can't just download an IQ test and say, oh, I'm awesome. I did great. (laughs) And then assume that that's a comprehensive neuropsychological assessment. That's just not. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot more comprehensive and standardized than, you know, those maybe 20-minute, 30-minute you know, online assessment that you may come across. Um, and, you know, neuropsychologists are, are trained uh, for several years to, to, to perform these, you know, assessments in the most um, kind of standardized and accurate way um, for our patients. Well, I can tell everybody now, don't try and do an online quick assessment <laughs> and think it's accurate. And if you do... Don't obsess over the math because having done that in preparation for this show, I don't know what test I did, but I was horrible and I don't think I'm really that bad in real life. And as long as any of this assessment does not judge me on my handwriting, okay, I've got a chance because if it does on handwriting, I can't even read the notes I took like five minutes ago. Okay. So that could be one aspect. Okay. Well, then I'm <laughs> going to bomb that. The handwriting, it's gone. It's, I'm, I'm getting a zero on that. Now, are there any risks of completing a neuropsychological evaluation? I mean, is there any reason why somebody would be so worried about what it might show us? Um, well, the only risk um, that I can think of um, doing this neuropsychological evaluation is you know, maybe you feeling fatigue or becoming frustrated because there will be, you know, several questions for you to answer or feeling like you're smart or feeling like you're not smart. And you may become, you know, depressed or, you know, you may have a strong emotional reaction during the evaluation. Um, But, you know, this is not invasive. This is paper, pencil, you know, sometimes computer. So, you know, risk is very minimal for for these evaluations. And if it did find something that, you know, in this case, I often find that people who operate at a very high functional level, they can mask and hide things for a while. That even I've been fooled in my office with people who have blatant dementia, but because of the way I'm interacting with them, I wouldn't tell that upon a, just a simple, how are you doing today? Are you taking your medicine evaluation? So it sounds like there really is an importance to taking a look at doing this and helping to uncover some of those diagnoses for which early intervention really is the key. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if people now feel less fear and they have concerns and they want to do some neuropsychological assessment, how can they find you? How would they go about getting more information? Yes, um, we do have a website. Um, it's com, and or um, you can also call us at 808-670-8668 um, and then we can answer any of them questions you may have. Well, I definitely want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. I feel more comfortable about neuropsychological testing and assessment, actually, more than testing, particularly if it doesn't assess my handwriting. I I could potentially do well. Uh, But, you know, it really does help for people to understand what the process is and how this could be beneficial. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Mm -hmm.